is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is AJ Wilcox. And in the pre-show chat, he's already got me laughing. So I'm looking forward to the next 30 to 45 minutes of, of uh, raucous podcasting here, <laughs> live from Richmond, Virginia. So AJ, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Awesome, Kevin. Well, first of all, thanks so much for uh, inviting me on. This is uh, so uh, so flattering to me to be here. Um, so a little bit about me. I, I've lived in the state of Utah, uh, married, have a wife with, with four kids, and uh, I love LinkedIn ads. That's my work passion. And then my personal passion are things like um, going fast. Uh, I like anything with an engine. I love endurance sports, a lot of hiking, snowshoeing, uh, triathlons, that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's what I do to try to keep my mind busy when it's not thinking about LinkedIn. So tell us a little bit about like you and I are getting on an elevator. Give me your 30 second, one minute, whatever elevator pitch of what your business is. Cool. Well, I usually start by telling people that LinkedIn ads, uh, what it's about. So it's an ad platform, much like you might already know with Google or Facebook, where we can target very specifically uh, about business professionals. So you can target by job title, the department someone's in, their level of seniority, individual skills, company size, company industry, all of that. And so we help people use the LinkedIn ads platform to drive the highest quality leads from their absolute ideal type of customer. So I, I think I was looking on a, I either listened to a video kind of as show prep or I was looking on, on your company page, but your, your transition was a little bit, I mean, you were in kind of the digital marketing space, kind of social media marketing, whatever. And, and then you started using LinkedIn and saw how effective it was. Is that, a, is that a nice synopsis of how you kind of ended up, you know, focusing so, so narrowly on LinkedIn? Yeah, it was kind of an interesting shift in my mindset because for the first seven years of my career, I called myself a search engine optimization guy. I, I loved search. I got a little bit into Google ads at the time, um, but always kind of considered myself to be like to be an SEO. And I, I looked at people who are running um, running big SEO campaigns as my idols, people on stage talking. And I always said, I want to be that one day. Um, but never really knew how. There were so many people in that space already. And so after about seven years of this, I go to work for a different company to run all of their marketing. And on the very first day, my CMO, I'm telling her all of the strategies I want to run for all the different digital marketing channels. And she stops me and goes, okay, all that sounds great. Go for it. But just so you know, we started a pilot using LinkedIn ads and see what you can do with it. And I saluted and said, yes, ma'am, absolutely. And then I walked out of her office and went, I mean, I've never heard What's of LinkedIn, LinkedIn ads. I'm a, exactly. I'm a, I'm a search marketing uh, veteran at this point. I've never even heard of this platform. It must suck. And so I, I'd kind of written it off, but didn't want to look stupid to my new boss. So I went and started playing around with it. And about two weeks later, I had a sales guy come to me and tell me that he was fighting over my leads with his uh, with the other reps. So he's like, whatever you're doing, keep it up. I did my research to figure out what he was talking about and every lead he was talking about was sourced from LinkedIn. And I went, uh, okay, I'm, I'm smart enough to know when, when there's something here. So I kept investing, kept investing, eventually turned that into LinkedIn's largest spending customer worldwide. And I ran that for two and a half years. Um, after which I was uh, laid off <laughs> from that position, which totally sucks. But <laughs> in considering what I want to do next, uh, you know, I, my wife was saying, Hey, 
you should go and get a job. And I got four job offers and we're pretty religious people. So we were praying about it and really felt prompted to like, nope, turn them all down. And I was kind of threw my hands up in despair and said, what about this idea I've had of just specializing in LinkedIn ads, being a consultant or an agency? And the answer I got was, yep, that's what you got to do. Pursue it. Um, so I call myself an accidental entrepreneur, but uh, getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to me. And now we're running some of the biggest you know, LinkedIn ads accounts in the world and um, having a lot of fun. So it's interesting when you talk about kind of the, the spousal agreement on, on the pathway and you said, okay, my wife said, get a job. And I said, ah, how about this other thing? I mean, did it take a while for her to come on board with the idea of you stepping out and kind of doing your own thing? And was there a, you know, the, the ultimate in, you know, I'm a nester, I'm taking care of the family, you know, this is a big risk. Um, what was, what was that, that little transition story? Oh, it was so hard. I mean, easily one of the hardest times of my life and or marriage. Um, it was just as hard for me as it was for her. Both of us are really financially conservative. I never in a million years thought I'd be running my own company because the safe thing, quote unquote, is to go and work for someone else and get oh, a steady sure, paycheck. Yeah. Yep. My, my dad's been in the same job for the last you know, 30 years about to retire in banking. I mean, you can't get much more financially conservative <laughs> than how I was, how I was raised. But uh, you know, uh, she said what she thought. I agreed with her, but um, eventually when we felt prompted to go that way, uh, we, we both agreed and, and we had a pretty good savings. We had what we figured was about 11 months of runway mm -hmm. where I could take this thing and if it absolutely sucked, I could fold, go get a job somewhere else yep. and uh, think that it never came down to that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Dave Ramsey in the background speaking in my back of my head going, okay, you got to have at least six months of runway here before you do anything, you know, semi crazy. But I mean, 11 months, that's especially in, in your area of expertise, that's, that's a pretty good runway because I mean, you said you'd already had four job offers and the likelihood that, that they, they would still be around, you know, maybe not those specific jobs, but you know, similar jobs in, in the digital space would be around in, in a year. So, I mean, it was kind of a mitigated, you know, a calculated risk that you took. But um, so, so tell us, you know, so the, the company laid you off. It was obviously working so well that this company laid you off, which is kind of a crazy story in itself. But the idea that, that, okay, that, you know, walk us through that Monday morning, you, you know, you get out of bed, and you go, wait a minute, I'm working for myself. What was the, what were the first things that you did? I had no idea what to do on day Start one. Watching I, YouTube. That's pretty much it. I woke up and honestly, I went hiking. Uh, I woke up super early morning. Um, when you get fired, you need to go and process. You need to work. Yes, absolutely. Thoughts. So for the next two mornings, I went and just like got lost in the woods and, you know, fought out loud, fought quietly. Uh, it, it was pretty, pretty miserable. But on day three, um, I immediately went to what I knew and that was, I know how to market. I know how to get attention, have no idea how to sell and no idea how to build a business, but I know these two things. So I went and hit like, what is upwork.com now? Um, trying to look for anyone who was looking to hire someone in LinkedIn ads. I immediately started taking old friends out to lunch that I hadn't connected with in a while just to let them know what I was doing and that I was all in and started getting some, some referrals that way. Um, in months two and three, I was doing a lot of in-person networking. In month four, uh, I did what I call my fake it till you make it tour. Uh, I knew that the vast majority of the biggest spenders on LinkedIn were out in San Francisco. And even though it killed me to book a hotel room and book a flight, uh, buy a nice suit, I, uh, I booked a flight and then started reaching out to everyone I knew there and saying, hey, I'm going to be in town. Can we get together and meet? 
had a whole bunch of meetings, just strengthening relationships, uh, finding opportunities, getting introductions. Sure. And then by month five, uh, thank goodness, uh, you know, I was making more money in the agency than I was at my previous job. That, that's so it was amazing. at that point, I kind of breathe a sigh of relief and that's say, right. this is going to work. We don't this have to. It work. That's right. Yeah. So, so how hard was it? I mean, I can, I can see that. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of a hill to climb when you're talking about, you're talking to companies, even about social marketing, you know, digital marketing. So, but I can even think that it's a, maybe a little bigger hill because LinkedIn is, is sometimes a little lesser known platform. I mean, it has, you know, a reputation that it's, it's really just a, a Rolodex of CEOs or something like that. I mean, the whole idea, but, and it is a business social media platform, but, you know, companies, uh, did they even know that you could advertise through the platform? I mean, is it, I mean, do you have to educate before you sell? I guess is the, is kind of the, I'm, I'm rambling through that question, but maybe is that, is that a, is that yeah. a good way to synop, synopsize that question? I, I think so. I made that word up, I think. It's a great word. I totally get it. Uh, back when I was doing SEO, I had to help people understand what SEO was. Like, sure. hey, these are how you get a site to the top of Google. But I found when I started approaching people about LinkedIn ads, all I had to say was LinkedIn and they went, oh, interesting. Okay. Advertising on LinkedIn. I get it. So I actually felt like I had less of a, of a hill to climb on that than I had in, in my previous life. Um, but I think educating people on what it takes to be a good advertiser and, uh, and how to target their audience and then what it takes to show to that audience to get them to interact. I think that's been more of a, of a hill to climb. Right, right. So the the whole idea though of, of advertising on that platform, I mean, the, and I, I am a LinkedIn amateur for sure. I mean, I've, I've been, I've had a profile on for a number of years and tried to clean it up and, you know, and and go through the space itself. But the, the idea, it just seems like it's so much easier to really specifically target, you know, your your target market. Is that, is that a misnomer or is that actually true? I mean, is it easier to kind of narrow down the demographics and really, you know, hone in on the, the I mean, you mentioned, I mean, do I, I want, you know, mid-level managers, 35 to 50 in this part of the country? I mean, can, can you, you have access to that that you may not have on other platforms? Oh, totally. Yeah, LinkedIn is the only place in town if you have a very specific person in mind in business that you want to reach. And I mean, just think about it. Any platform out there, there's no one that compares to the business data that LinkedIn has. Yeah, um, true. You might say, oh, I've heard of people having success on Facebook ads uh, for B2B. And that's true. You, you can have success there because uh, Facebook's data is good and their targeting is good. But when you really get down to the business to business targeting methods, um, like job title, like company size, mm -hmm there are probably only four to 6% of professionals who even bother to actually put that information in their profile. Yeah. And so that means that if you're using Facebook ads and you want to turn that knob up and reach everyone in your market, spend more money, grow your business, you're going to hit a cap of ah, only four to 6% of my markets here. But on right. LinkedIn, we all put that in the second we created the profile. Sure. So it's, you know, real scalable access to probably 95% of the white collar professionals out there. I mean, as you were talking, I've been thinking about the difference in those two those two platforms. I'm thinking, you know, I would not put a picture of my cat or my kid's graduation on LinkedIn, but I would certainly do that on Facebook. And I don't know that I would necessarily, you know, go robust with the the business profile exactly like you, you mentioned on Facebook. So that's that may be a a similar audience, but they certainly haven't kind of predefined themselves, you know, with with their 
um, you know, with their background information, work experience, work history, stuff like that. So, so when did you, when did you make the transition? When did you go out on your own at the oh, first yeah, time? Yeah. Uh, about the end of 2014. So from, from say early 2015 to today, has it just been a hockey stick rise to, to fame and fortune in LinkedIn advertising <laughs> or is it more of a, a little bit of a roller coaster ride? No, I think it's been a little bit more of, I, I, it feels like a plateau. I feel very blessed to have gotten a rise so fast mm -hmm. to know that you can, you can stop stressing out. You'll be able to provide for your family. And that's, that was the hardest thing for me as, as a very conservative uh, breadwinner for the family. But uh, you know, we, we've steadily grown. It's been nice and, and it's a great lifestyle business, but I certainly won't say it's been hockey stick growth where, you know, I'm, I'm out, you know, shopping for private jets. Uh, but even at, <laughs> Not yet. Uh, even at, yeah, exactly. Even at this plateau, we're finding we're, we're getting fewer and fewer of the smaller accounts and we're getting larger ones and better brands and, and stronger marketers that, right. you know, our relationships will last for a while. So I feel like I'm building something uh, to last and, I, and I'm not taking any shortcuts. So how many people work with B2 linked? Uh, so we've got four full-time employees and then a small army of part-timers. And uh, I, I mean, having come from corporate, I really don't think I want to get any bigger than about yeah. 10 people total. So yeah. uh, we'll see if I can keep that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that I was listening to a, to a podcast about a, a company that grew pretty quickly and uh, just the change in how just, the, I guess the culture, how do you, I mean, they're hiring so fast that they, they almost lost their company culture in the process. And they're like, we certainly lost the intimacy of knowing each other and, and working together and everybody in a, in a kind of a big boiler you know, room situation where, um, you know, I knew their families, I knew their background, I knew their history, I knew when they were having a bad day, you know, from the CEO to the janitor and every, every, everything in between. But it's interesting because I, I, I've met a lot of people, we've interviewed a lot of people that, that almost have a ceiling on how high they or how big they want their company to grow. And anything beyond that, I mean, is maybe is an exit for them, you know, that yeah. type of thing. So I um, actually have a, I have a really good friend who took a very different path to me. He was really turned on by the idea of, uh, of the Silicon Valley startup, the, the high growth, the, the venture funding. And, you know, we went out to lunch and he's telling me about this company with, uh, with a hundred people and he's stressed out of his mind because he's trying to, to manage it all. And he's making less money than me. And I had one employee at the time. And so I went, Oh, uh, and, and he eventually came to the same conclusion, which was all right. Like the glitz and the glamor, how about you go after profitability? How about you go mm. after making a difference? And he eventually downsized and uh, it turned out well for him. So I'm trying to take his advice and just be happy being small and nimble and just yeah. work on making a difference. So how did you, as far as pricing, I mean, did you price it similar? I mean, when you first started out, I mean, that, that's one thing that, that I think a lot of startups struggle with, especially solo startups. They're thinking, how in the world am I going to price this? What's that price equilibrium that says it's high enough that, you know, it, it, it did fixed value, but it's low enough that people will actually bite on it. Um, I mean, did you just kind of carry this on from what your, your prior company was charging other people? Or how did you kind of arrive at that magic number? You know, I didn't know how to price. I'd never run an agency before. I'd never been in agency leadership. So I didn't know how this stuff happened. All I knew is that back when I was working for someone else, I was freelancing on the side and charging about 175 bucks an hour. And so I went, 
ah, well, if that's what I was worth a year ago, that's probably what I'm worth now. And so I went out and I remember going and talking to a friend and, and saying like, I have a hundred percent close rate on my pitches. I must be a great salesman. And he's like, well, what are you charging? And I said, $175 an hour. And he's like, well, I'll be honest. I would pay for you at $175 an hour. And I don't even think that LinkedIn is, is like a good fit for my business. And he basically said like, by charging only by the hour, you're letting people rent the, the greatest talent in the world for, mm. uh, with no risk. So of course you're going to close deals. How about you set a minimum and just say, you know, rather than tracking my hours, how about you just say thousand bucks and you say, if, if I'm getting paid less than a thousand bucks by any one client, uh, it's not worth your time. And so I did, I set that floor, worked that for a little while. Just last year, we upped the floor to 1500 uh -huh. and uh, also the quality of the client goes up with that as well. Sure. Um, so for larger spends, we can charge as a percentage of ad spend, which is pretty standard in, in digital marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, but below that, I, I know I have my floor. And so any amount of work that we do uh, is going to be at least worth it. Bringing on a client actually means something. So there's kind of a, there's a, a floor, a bottom price. It's I mean, a minimum of any job, but then you say, okay, if we're spending 50,000 on ad spend. It's, it's a certain percentage of that. Is it, I mean, it, so that's completely, I mean, that another thing that I think that that does, it's a great model because it doesn't, you're not in essence working at different rates for different people. So, you know, if you had kind of a flat rate project price or whatever, you could say, okay, they, they want to, they want one ad run and this other company wants 10, you know, and they're, it's the same price. So in essence, we're working, you know, 10 times, you know, more expensively for the first guy than we are the second one. So um, I, I really like that model. It, what what have been some of the some of the bumps along the way that, that you know since you started, you know four or five years ago? I mean, what what would you say would be things that that uh, you know you just really didn't anticipate that you kind of you know were the speed bumps along the along the way that you learned from now? I never anticipated that hiring my first full time person would have been so hard, but. During year one, I knew I couldn't afford to pay anyone's sort of salary. I was just trying to make sure my family was fed. And so I was like, well, how about I hire, instead of having one person for 40 hours a week, how about I hire two interns at 20? And I thought that they would all add up. And spoiler alert, they don't. Uh, interns, especially if they're students, probably fantastic for, for where they are. But uh, every time that there's midterms or finals come up, they're gone. And you're left with all the client work by yourself. But for the whole first year I battled with myself, I can't pay someone a salary because all of this money that the company is making right now goes directly into my pocket. So if I can tough it out, if I can do all the work myself, then that's all your profit. And hiring someone is essentially just saying, let me give you a piece of what I do for some of my hours back. And that was a hard jump. But as soon as I did it, it was just this giant uh, uh, weight off my shoulders. And three months later, I ended up taking my first vacation. Um, so, it, it, I mean, it, it saved me. Before that, I was you know, working till 2 and 3 a.m. every morning, yeah. uh, losing hair and gaining weight. And as soon as I had that, I could start taking care of myself again and you know, giving time back to my family. So, uh, uh, worth it. So, so, did it flip then? Did you start losing weight and gaining hair? <laughs> Never got the hair back. I'd like that. I would like that model somehow. I wish you, if you figured that one out, I want you to email me after after the show's over. So uh, you certainly have the, the secret formula on that. But 
So <laughs> other than the hiring, so what were some other things that, that uh, I mean, did you have that, that tax shock the first time you had to pay quarterly taxes? Did you have the, I, I didn't know we were supposed to keep books. I thought we could just keep our receipts in a big, you know, Walmart sack or something. I mean, <laughs> you know, so what were, what were some other things that, that you just, you made, I mean, it's impossible to be prepared for if you've never done it before. So. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned the whole tax situation. Right out of the gate, I knew like taxes are always something I hate. I just I can't I, I don't want to sit down and fill out paperwork. Uh, it's just never been fun for me. Um, and I had a friend at the time who was starting a a, uh, a bookkeeping business and a and a tax business, and so I signed on with him and just said, "Hey, help me out here. Uh, you know, the the business is actually starting to make some meaningful money here. Uh, it's looking pretty good. Uh, I, I need some help. I need someone to handle the stuff I don't want to." And the whole time I was with his company, I just like the closer tax season was coming. I just had this looming fear in the back of my mind, like uncle Sam's coming. And, uh, and you know, he was telling me set aside like a third of your company revenue. So I'm watching this bank account grow and grow and grow and thinking like, like, I I don't want to give that to the government. And then uh, (laughs) finally I I had another friend bring on an accountant that he absolutely loved. And he's like, you just got to talk to her. So I hop on the phone with her. She's telling me like, you know, she wasn't trying to sell me. She just said, what are you doing? And as I'm telling her, she's like, Ooh, you could save money here. Go and do this. Oh, you could save money here. And she was sharing with me. I'm not even her client. And she's sharing all of these tax saving strategies. And I realized that my accountant at the time uh, wasn't doing any of that. And I was like, ah, if I don't get away from him, I'm going to be screwed. So yeah. uh, long story short, switched over there. She's taken care of everything. Um, she's pretty aggressive and uh, and I really like it. So solve that for me. And if the IRS shows up, she's going to be there right there beside you uh, because she signed that return too, probably. So I, that, that's, that's right. Help. That's exactly right. And she'll know what to say to him and I still don't. And that's okay. <laughs> I'm all right being a financial dummy. So since since 2014 to today that we're talking about five years i mean what do you see on the horizon um with linkedin i mean what or have you seen linkedin change maybe since 2014 and what do you see maybe for the next five years well it's really exciting to see the changes so far uh we look at companies like like google with their google ads and facebook with facebook ads and they've built amazing ad platforms um and the reason why is because those are companies who made all of their revenue off of those platforms. Then you look at LinkedIn, they've always made 60% of their revenue from the recruiter platform. Mm-hmm. So ads was just a little like 16% of their business and it, they didn't give it any resources. They didn't care. So I was over there in 2014 fighting like, please guys get the table stakes, build a platform that's actually usable. And over time, I think they've started to get the hint. Uh, they're seeing people having a lot of, uh, success on both Facebook and Google, they realize what's possible. And so now they have, I mean, it used to be a, a handful of engineers. Now LinkedIn is employing probably over a hundred engineers. They're, they're building out new features and, uh, you know, tools and things at a breakneck speed. And it's really exciting to be here, but I'll tell you what I see in the future. I see, uh, Facebook ads just keep getting more and more expensive. And as they do at some point, someone's going to say, ah, you know what? I can't afford to pay $3 a click for Facebook traffic. Yeah. I'm going to look over here at LinkedIn where it might be 6 to $7. I'm willing to, to make the jump. So I think we're about to see mass adoption around LinkedIn just because Facebook's going to get too expensive. Do you, I mean, let's, let's compare those two things. So 
you know, it's $3 a click at Facebook, $6 a click at, at LinkedIn. Is, is it, I mean, are the returns more than twice as good for LinkedIn ads? I mean, is that, is that a selling point for you or is there, are there other tangible or intangible benefits to LinkedIn ads? I mean, how do you, if, if I'm the client, how do you, how do you help me compare those two things? And, you know, especially if you have a dog in the hunt, so to speak, if you really want me to do LinkedIn ads, how, what's the, what's the selling point other than the, you know, more acute, you know, demographics or met or, you know, targeting. What are, what are some other, what are some other, is that, that clear question? Totally clear. Yeah. I, I mean, if you go and ask a sales rep, what type of lead do you like better? Do you like a Facebook lead or do you like a LinkedIn lead? inevitably they're going to tell you they like LinkedIn better. And it's not because there are different people on both platforms. Um, it's because of the targeting. Because yeah. on Facebook, you have to get a little bit fuzzy with your targeting. And people are okay kind of casting a wide net because the costs are so cheap, especially they were. Well, now that it's getting more and more expensive and you start to see, oh, quality of lead, let's call it like a 30% like a kind of quality in lead. Um, oh, that 30% quality lead, uh, it used to cost $12 and now it costs, you know, 20. Um, that may not be worth it. Then you have LinkedIn where the targeting is so precise that every single lead you generate is an 80% lead. And so you go, well, yeah, if I have to pay twice, maybe even three times as much for a LinkedIn lead, my sales reps close it. They turn out to be bigger deal sizes. Um, they close quicker and there's more trust. They found us on LinkedIn and they trust LinkedIn more than they trust Facebook that's always in the news getting grilled by our senators. So <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. I mean, there's even a, like a, like, like a guarding of confidential information, you know, trust factor between those two platforms for sure. But um, I, I would think that would be an easy sell if, if you could say, okay, the, the kind of the customer acquisition cost, you know, for Facebook is actually higher than it is for LinkedIn because of the quality of leads are so bad, you know, that, that you end up with, even if you spent less on the front end, you know, maybe per click. Um, but the, the actual cost of, of converting that lead is much higher after the fact that the leads are so bad. So that's right. You know, I really like that comparison. And in smaller companies or, or a less expensive type of product, Facebook's going to win every time because uh, there's a lot of the small business people who are hanging out there. But if you have a product that, you know, when you sell it, it's worth $15,000 to your, your company over the lifetime of that, that client. It's yeah. not a small deal. And it doesn't make sense to try to target people uh, in small companies to try to sell that to them. But on yeah. LinkedIn, you can specifically set up the ad and say, I only want the Fortune 500 to see this or the Fortune 1000 or just enterprise companies. So yeah, it just, it makes sense every time for those bigger, bigger companies, bigger deals. Right. So I, I've got a couple of real quick questions. I kind of want to sum up here at the end that maybe dive a little deeper with you right before we get to the, the micro course section of our chat today. But um, one of them I, I wanted to ask you, so getting started in LinkedIn, what are some ways that uh, are there, are there even early entry ways to get into LinkedIn? Can you do it? You know, if you don't even have a budget, if it's bootstrapped or whatever, how do you how do you kind of take advantage of the LinkedIn platform? Um, let's just use the F word free, you know, <laughs> <laughs> definitely, Kevin, I'll, I'll tell you, I think LinkedIn right now on the organic side, on the free side is the biggest untapped opportunity for business professionals. The reason why is because every other platform out there has been squashing your voice unless you pay for it. But yeah. LinkedIn is the easiest network in the world to go viral on. Um, 
And I'll give you an example. I only have about 4,000 people who follow me. It's not a, a giant following on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. but when I post, I will routinely get somewhere between eight and 12,000 views. So that means that even if a hundred percent of my followers were super active and were consuming my content and seeing it, uh, that means that there's two to three times that many people who I'm not connected to that I'm getting the word out. And I think that's fantastic. So, you know, completely for free, all you have to do is just speak up. All you have to do is share and share stuff that people like. And, you know, it, it's, it's just the perfect way of growing a personal brand and an audience and you just can't get it in else. So comparing LinkedIn and Facebook, so Facebook certainly limits, you know, who can see your posts and, and that type of thing. I mean, really restrictive right now, like you said, without, you know, paying to boost posts and stuff like that. So with LinkedIn, but when you're, you're talking about those views, it's really from people, not, not just kind of the, the initial 4,000 followers that are seeing it. It's, it's also people that are sharing it because with LinkedIn, are all 4,000 actually getting that feed? Oh, or good question. Yes. Yeah, so the way that it works is uh, LinkedIn has a feed to fill. The average person on LinkedIn has about 150 connections. And if you have 150 connections, that feed isn't moving very fast. So they're looking to put content in there so that the network right. will, will appear yeah. valuable to you. Exactly. Um, so what they did is said, well, hey, how about we put everything that your connections are sharing in there? Cool. That got us somewhere, uh, but we still need more stuff in the feed. It's not, it's not busy enough. Um, what about if when one of your connections likes something or when they comment on it, how about we deliver that post to your feed so that you can get involved in the same conversations that they are and, and kind of be one with your, your friends and your network. And so now what happens is let's say all 4,000 of my, my followers found my content and they consumed it and they were done. You know, it, my post should have 4,000 views, but what happened is a whole bunch of those people hit like, and then a whole bunch more commented yeah. and then it went out to their network. And now my posts are being seen. You know, I, I call it my viral quotient of two or three. I have two to three times more people seeing it than really who should. So if, if, if you have 4,000 people following you on, on LinkedIn, when you post something, does that automatically trigger those 4,000? Uh, it won't go to all 4,000 immediately. They, they have a little bit of a quality, um, uh, process that it goes through. Mm -hmm. So immediately when you post something, they'll test it out on a small portion of your audience. So let's say they send it out to 15% of your audience. Of course, we don't know what these numbers actually are, but sure. this is the idea. Uh, let's show it to 15% of them. And if there's a high level of engagement, if there's lot, lots of likes, lots of comments, lots of clicking through, if there's like a see more, then they go, Ooh, this is trustworthy. No one's complained about it yet. How right. about we open it up to a little bit more of his or her network and then a little bit more. And once you have something that's really on fire, not only is it reaching uh, audiences outside of your own, but then it's reaching more of your 4,000 as well. So those of, those of you that are listening to this podcast, I'm going to do a little plug here for AJ. So that is an entry point for you to, to do, you know, posts and, and people that are following you and hope they're going to click like. And, but there's a whole different, there's a whole library after that, that of, of, you know, you're just, you're really just dipping your toe in the water, so to speak. So, you know, he knows things that, that we mere mortals in LinkedIn have no idea about that, that really is, is kind of like kicking it up to DEFCON 2 here. So, 
um, I, I, I encourage you as a listener to, you know, to step in that and, and take advantage of, of what he just mentioned to, you know, to post things and, and just see what traction you get. But uh, certainly that's not an end in itself. That is, that is just a, an entry into the journey. So um, AJ, let me, let me ask you one other question really quickly before we transition here. And that's, if you could you kind of go back to 2014, 2015, what would be one piece of advice that you, you wish you knew then that you know now that you think would save, saved you a ton of heartache? Ooh, I, you know, this one's hard for me because I, uh, I'm kind of a person who really appreciates the journey mm -hmm. and I know I made mistakes along the way, but I'm really glad I made those mistakes because I learned things and that nothing was a, like a, a huge terror uh, of a, uh, you know, a problem in my life that put right. me way back. Um, so I, I don't even know if I could give myself uh, that advice if I had it. Um, maybe the one piece that I would give myself is think big. I, my entire life I've thought small and I've surrounded myself with friends who have this grand vision and, and you know they're the kind of people that go and start billion dollar companies and if i hung around people who uh, thought like i did I, I wouldn't be able to think and get to the next step I, I think it's great advice and actually i mean that question has been answered in a similar way by a number of guests you know when i've asked that question to them because they they, I mean, how often they thought, you know, especially starting out on your own, they, they really had this. It's almost like the, you know, you've heard of the imposter syndrome or this idea of, you know, who am I to, to lead a company or who am I to do big things or who am I, you know, fill in the blank. Who am I to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, I thought you were going to say like, well, I hired my brother-in-law and I had to fire him the next week or, <laughs> you know, something, some, you know, crazy thing like, I wish we wouldn't have started in the back of a van. Um, that, that we, we probably could have, could have gotten away with, but, uh, as, as we're getting here at the end, I, man, I could talk to you all day about this, but, uh, I really want to just kind of step out of the way and, and just let you teach our audience here at, at the end of our chat and in an, you know, an area we call the rising tide micro course. And we're really trying to build a library of, of experts and just giving a, just kind of a, a, almost like a lead magnet into their areas of expertise. But, and you've got the floor. If you want to use the whiteboard, you use whatever you want to. But, uh, you know, take the next few minutes and just just share with our listeners something related to, you know, your your zone of genius. Perfect. Well, what I'm going to share with you is about AMMO. This is my acronym that I use to describe any sort of approach that you do into any sort of social media advertising. So AMO, it stands for your audience, your message, and your offer. Now, the audience is really the reason that we are willing to pay LinkedIn prices. It's the reason we come to LinkedIn because they have our audience. And so if you figure out who your persona is that you want to go after, uh, you can narrow in quite well with the targeting there. The next part is the message. And this is when someone sees your ad, what are they seeing? You know, what's the image? What's the ad copy you've included? What type of ad format are you using? And that's all well and good, but the O part is by far the most important of these table stakes, and that is your offer. Now, the reason why I bring up offers, if you put an ad up on any social media platform, LinkedIn especially, that just says, here's what we do, click here to talk to our high-pressure sales rep, no one in the world is going to click that ad. And so if you want to get interaction, if you want to get a lead from your ideal type of customer, you need to provide value first. So the way that we do that is through what I'll call gated content in this case. Um, 
many people may look at a hard sell kind of offer and go, ooh, that doesn't work, let's go to the polar opposite. Well, the polar opposite is spending LinkedIn money, let's call it six to $9 a click to get someone onto, to read one of your blog posts or to view an infographic. But those are assets that have inherently very low conversion rates. So you're being the good guy or good gal out there doing this, you know, just providing value without asking for anything in return. But at some point you're, you're going to have to come to grips with the fact that you just spent a thousand dollars and you didn't, and you got one lead out of it. So where you really want to be is kind of in between the extremes where you're providing significant value to someone in exchange, they're giving you their email address. So you may ask, well, what kind of content works? Uh, you know, we have all kinds of different lead magnets that work really well in business to business. There's like free checklists, free cheat sheets, a free webinar or an in-person event, uh, a free guide, an ebook, things like that. They all tend to work pretty well. Um, there isn't really a best one out there. There's, it, it, I think what it really comes down to is you solve a pain point for someone. So if your asset, whatever it is, whether it's a one-page cheat sheet or a 48-page ebook or an hour-long webinar, whatever you are, however you say you're going to solve that problem, people will tune in and they'll want to convert. So what you want to do first is go and figure out what that pain point is. Uh, survey, talk to your sales reps, who are working with these people all the day, uh, you know, all day long, but go and find out what the pain points are that they're experiencing or what major curiosities they have that you can solve. Go and create a piece of content around that, whatever makes sense, and then try releasing that as a gated offer. And if you really hit the nail on the head, uh, really solve the pain point for them or hit on a problem that they're just screaming that it's keeping them up at night, they will love you for it. They will engage at a really high rate, which will bring your cost per conversion way down. And then your goal, you've now brought them to the water. You've brought the horse to the water, but you can't make them drink. Now you've got them to the water. And then your job as a sales team and as a marketing follow-up and nurture sequence, you are going to be reaching out to those people and start trying to start a conversation that turns into a relationship that then turns into a sales potential conversation. Um, and that's, that's what you do. So you start out by just really solving problems and, and offering something of high value. And then once the relationship's there, that's when you can start to sell. So these large deals, the, the business to business uh, types of long sales cycles, they, they are going to take longer to close. It's going to be a lot longer than a search lead like Google ads, but you're getting absolutely the right people in there. And these will turn out to be the biggest deals that you close. It's the logos that you'll put on your website and you'll be throwing parties internally when you close these deals. And I love the way that you, you know, just very clearly and concisely talk about, you know, and really on any platform, but, but specifically on LinkedIn and, and even, I mean, the, these three table legs that you mentioned, the, the audience, the message and the offer. I mean, all three are are very important, but but it it's very clear the way you outlined that was hey you can have you can clearly define your audience you can clearly define the message but if the offer does not cause them to act if there's nothing that leads them into the you know the top end of the funnel then it, it's complete waste of time and you can almost it's almost like you can you can miss a little bit on the first two but if you miss on the third one it's that's a strikeout. It's true. That yeah. is an absolute strikeout. I mean, the way you've kind of outlined these. Yeah, and something I love to do, because you never know how, how people are really going to 
to react to your content. So if you can start out with two different offers, maybe you've got a 60-minute webinar and then a 12-page guide, you can test them against each other and just see which of these two pain points am I solving better. One will have a 25% conversion rate and one will have an 8% conversion rate. And right. then you can really say, ooh, here's the pain point that we're winning on. Let's go all in. So is, is that is that strictly A-B testing? I mean, or is that more of a, you know, you're just, I mean, that's the, I would consider that almost an A-B test versus, you know, for the, for the offer itself. But are, what software do you use on the back end? I mean, do you use lead pages to use? I mean, what are, what are some of the things and is that provided as part of your service or are you relying on the client to provide those, those things? Or how does that, how does that interface like with their website, that type of thing? Yeah, so we really love to use Instapage, uh, which is another one of those landing page services, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, whatever sort of technology the client is using, we've had clients have success just using the forms that are just native inside of Marketo or HubSpot. We've had custom-built uh, pages and forms that, you know, uh, really what it comes down to is your landing page isn't all that important. It's the, the promise of the offer. By, by downloading this, by giving me this information, uh, you're going to be able to solve a pain point that you couldn't solve any other way. I'm going to give you insights into how to make your life easier. And if the landing page is a little bit hard to, to convert on or it's not communicating it properly, it's still probably going to perform pretty well. So it, it really has to come down to make sure the offer is good and then everything else can fall into place. I love the way that... Uh that you kind of ended that. I mean, what a way to tie up our, our micro course here. I mean, you started and you ended, you had the sandwich with the meat in the middle, exactly how, how <laughs> I, I aim for this to happen, for sure. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that uh, you, you think would be a, a value to our listeners, specifically to LinkedIn or, you know, services you provide? And then, man, you just tell us where the, where the best place to find you is as we wrap up here today. Sure thing. Well, if any of you are really intrigued and want to start running LinkedIn ads by yourself, but maybe you can't afford or don't want to afford an agency like ours to run it for you, uh, we came out with an offer and it's the, it's the same eight point checklist that we use to onboard new clients. Um, and we just offer it for free to everyone who, who wants it because you know, here are the eight things that you need in order to get started, whether you're using someone like us or not. And hopefully that gives you a really nice leg up so that you know you have success on the platform. We know LinkedIn ads is expensive compared to other platforms. And so what it means is any mistake that you make becomes an expensive mistake very quickly. So any way that we can shortcut that learning curve for you is awesome. You can access that by going to b2linked.com slash checklist. And if you don't tick the box that says, I want AJ to reach out to me, you'll never hear from us ever again. This really is just pure value. We want to see you have success on the platform. Man, what a great, what a great offer. And, and I'm, I'm grateful that you offered our listeners that, that chance to, to get that checklist. And, and um, man, the, so the best place to contact you would be through your website or through LinkedIn or? Yeah, I think website's probably best. Mm -hmm. If you go to b2links.com and fill out the form anywhere, here's my dirty little secret. You're not going to hit a sales rep and you're not gonna be put on our newsletter, uh, you will go directly to my inbox and I am not a sales guy. So uh, reach out with any question you've got related to LinkedIn ads. Uh, if there's any way I can help, I will. And if you take AJ hiking in the in, in uh, Joshua Tree, it, your rates go down 50%, is that right? <laughs> that's, that's 
pretty much it. I do like a good hike. <laughs> <laughs> AJ, man, thanks again for just taking the time today. And uh, it's been great. I, I'm looking forward to the next time that we're going to have you on Rising Tide because I'm already going to have, I've made a note to reschedule you soon. So um, I know that there's, there's a lot of things I didn't ask you about that we'll, we'll get up, we'll catch up on part two, but and I just want to thank you on behalf of, of all of our rising tiders. Just thanks for playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. And hey, have a good you. day. <laughs> thank thank you, you so much, Kevin. It's been such a pleasure.